This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. Maybe the hardest part about enlightenment is not that it's far away, but that it's so close, it's hard to see. Mm. It's like trying to see your own eye through your eye. There's like you hit this wall and it's a paradox and then you have to wake up out of that duality. The enlightened being in us is the one looking for enlightenment and it just needs to remember. And there's this great poem by T.S. Eliot. After all, all the exploring, I come back to know myself again for the first time. Welcome to the Be Here Now guest podcast. This series features a collection of teachings and conversations centered around mindfulness, spiritual growth, and living a life in balance. Each week, our diverse network of guest teachers and hosts offer up wisdom and practices from a different spiritual path and perspective. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com slash donate. On this episode, we're talking about enlightenment, what it means, and is it possible for someone like you or me to become enlightened? And we've got a special guest mentor, teacher, author, and guide, David Gandelman, who's going to be sharing his perspective on the topic. And Jordana, uh, this is a fun one because you and David are very close I've met him briefly once, so it was cool to dive in with him. But you've done a lot with him already, it seems. Yeah, it feels like I've known David for lifetimes, but maybe that's because we share um, having grown up as Jews in New Jersey um, who moved to California and began guiding meditation. So David and I met a few years ago, and um, we became fast friends. We ran a retreat together to Nepal and Bhutan, and we're working on another retreat. Um, actually, registration is open. You can go to David's website, meditationschool.us, and navigate towards retreats. And we've got one April 1st of 2023 to the Himalayas of Nepal. Um, so yeah, I love working with David. He is very much like a Buddha to me. Um, if he's not enlightened, he's someone who I feel um, has the possibility, really, truly the possibility of becoming enlightened in this lifetime. Um, and I think that if he heard me say that, and when he hears me say that, he'll he'll giggle a bit yeah. because he's a pretty funny guy. And I think that's a big part of um, becoming enlightened is is not taking things too seriously. Yeah, I love that. And by the way, that trip in the Himalayas, I've done it. It is life-changing. Definitely recommend it if you are able to make it happen. You won't regret it. 
So let's get into why we decided to talk about enlightenment today. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Shira, I'd actually really love to hear from you about why you like the topic of enlightenment. And then I'll share a bit too. Wow. Throw it back to me. I see how it goes. <laughs> well, I think that we're all looking for more peace and understanding in this life, in this human body, like almost the answer to it all. And part of it is reaching a point where we hit like that nirvana, that being one with ourselves and everything around us. And I and we hear these stories of gurus and people getting there. And I think as people who are in the so-called modern world, like at, at least for me, I think, is it possible to do that when I'm just like a regular person, <laughs> right? Like, or do I need to leave it all to get there? And I would like to hope there's a solution for both. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, I think that's, I think that's spot on. I think that there, the reason there are so many different, there, well, there are so many different ways in, you know, uh, because there are so many different minds and there are so many different paths and, um, things that make up who each of us are individually. So even the reason why we have so many teachers is because the way that I say something may or may not resonate with some people, but I may be teaching the same thing as, David and the way that David speaks resonates for someone. And so, um, what resonates for each of us is what supports us in finding our own way towards greater freedom. Um, and what's interesting is there are religions that talk about certain paths of enlightenment. And I think that a lot of times is our entryway. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we, most of us are are born into um, culture or religion or given a, a book of knowledge of some sort that says, here's a way towards uh, freedom. And uh, for some of us, that way that we're given works. And for some of us, we are looking for answers outside of that book. Maybe it's another book. Maybe it's another teacher. Maybe it's nature. And we, we find the, the path in that way. Um, for me, a lot of this became enlightened <laughs> as I, as I, um, started studying Buddhism and spending time in monasteries in Nepal and in India. Mm. The ideas, the concepts felt like things that I already knew, even though I was hearing them for the first time. And so on my own path, I've found a lot of spiritual nourishment in Buddha Dharma, mm -hmm. which are the teachings of, of Buddha. Beautiful. And, and have you felt any moments of enlightenment in your life? Yeah, I have. I, you know, flashes of enlightenment, which uh, the, the yogis call Savikalpa Samadhi, these, these moments of Oh, you might call them emptiness mm. or um, a, a bliss moment, a space of just like, ha. <sighs> and, and I've felt that, um, you know, in, in meditation, in moments of meditation, um, I've certainly felt it in um, psychedelic experiences. I have heard that uh, many women experience it for a moment during childbirth. Oh, really? Huh. huh. Yeah. Um, it's like this, this moment of, of almost 
connection to everything and freedom from everything at the same time. Oof. Yeah, that 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 was a, a juicy one. What you just said, you know, uh, similar to you, I felt those moments of calm and being a part of something bigger and not just being in my body, right? The restrictions of being this human body, definitely through breath work, through some yeah. psychedelic experiences in the shower, you know? And I, I do know that I've heard lots of stories of this happening during your death experiences as well. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, I do want to go to our mentor for this great conversation we had with him. And a little introduction about David Gandelman. He is the founder of the Meditation School app and host of the Meditation School, Energy Matters, and Grounded Sleep podcasts. His meditations have been streamed millions of times. Enjoy. Oh, David, it's so good to have you here from across the world. How are you today? Amazing. It is a pleasure to see your face, both of you. Jordana, we have some history. Good, good history. Nothing intense. Although we did kind of <laughs> hike the Himalayas together a bit. Me too. And, Both of us. Oh, awesome. Yes. Oh, wow. Look at that common thread. The Himalayas <laughs> run between us. <laughs> David, you uh, were one of the last people I saw before the, the pandemic. It feels like it hasn't been that long, but it's been lifetimes, huh? You know, I hate to say this, but there's a chance I feel like I was like patient zero because when I got back from our trip to Nepal and Bhutan, I flew through China it was right before COVID started, and I was really, really sick when I got home. And I've ever, I've always wondered if uh, that's what it was. So it's all your fault. But anyway, thanks. It's great to see you. <laughs> Good to see you. Too. Great, yeah, great introduction. For, <laughs> for some background info, uh, David and I read, led a retreat together in Bhutan and Nepal uh, in, I guess it was no November of 2019. Yeah. Yeah. Just before the pandemic. And then uh, we all came back to Los Angeles uh, for a few months. And then in February, I came to Thailand, which is where I'm coming to you from now. Yeah, you've, you've been on an island from COVID and then you just decided to stay and root in. Yeah, it's been amazing. Um, so, David, you know, I want to I want to break the ice with you. I think we just did. But I'm wondering if I could put you on the spot and ask you for your best spiritual joke. Oh, sure. Um, I don't know about best, but I'll tell you one I made up. Um, oh. What did the Buddhist monk say when he didn't know the answer to a question? He, he said, um... I actually was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I had That's the first joke I had the answer to. Uh, I never have the answers. Well, I'll give you one more from my days as a volcano tour guide in Hawaii. Uh, what did the one volcano say to the other when they fell in love? I lava you. That is cute. Oh. I actually or, like that. Or you're hot. Hey, <laughs> you're steamy. <laughs> Looking steaming. So, uh, David, I know uh, you do so much, uh, and I've I've known you through Jordana a bit. She talks a lot about you in <laughs> in the best way possible. <laughs> you guys were at the same Hanukkah party. I just That's have to right. say. <laughs> we but, lit candles together. Exactly. Uh, we've met each other once, but I feel like I kind of know you through social media and through Jordana, uh, but. I guess you do so much. Like, how how did you decide to pursue this path? 
Sure. Um, it wasn't really a decision. It was kind of, it just happened. It was like, um, I started meditating, I guess I started meditating at 16. And then I, um, I, I went and got a degree in Western philosophy. And I, I then went to live in India in the Himalayas in some ashrams. And then I, this is a very short, short version. I, uh, I went and lived in Hawaii studying the intuitive arts um, and all that kind of woo-woo energy work, healing stuff, and put it all together and eventually started teaching. I used to run a school for intuitive development in Hawaii. I spent uh, seven years there on the Big Island. And then uh, slowly, slowly started teaching online, podcasting, working with uh, the app Insight Timer, and then starting my own app, Meditation School, and uh, you know, writing this book, which is behind me. <laughs> Very nicely placed if there's video on this podcast, I'm not actually sure. <laughs> and uh, slowly but surely just, uh, just stepped into it. I did not expect to be a teacher when I started on this path. You know, there was no YouTube, there was no podcasting. There, was, there really was no path other than maybe being like a monk or something. And so I feel like I came of age as the technology came of age and as like this wave of interest in mindfulness and spirituality came of age. And I think I was a bit on the front end of that. My friends used to make fun of me a lot in high school for meditating all the time. And my friends in college did. And then eventually when I got to India, I was like, ah, my people. And then, you know, I lived in LA, which is where I met you for a little while, not too long, maybe couple years. And, uh, and I realized, well, there's a lot of spirituality because I was always isolated. And then I was like, oh my God, there's too much spirituality. <laughs> this, is, yeah, this is a circus. I don't know if you experienced that. I'm sure you do in Venice. Uh, and, uh, and so I moved eventually to the mountains in Colorado. I live a little bit more of an isolated life in the, in the mountains here. And I, I think I prefer that. Um, but yeah, I, I just started by uh, first running an intuitive school, very small in-person kind of teaching, and then eventually got online. And um, I would say still uh, most of my students come from the app Insight Timer. That's probably where I connect with most people. That was a long-winded version. No, I mean... For a, uh, for a short podcast. Of course, of course. <laughs> so during the pandemic, you wrote a book. Did you become or get closer to enlightenment? <laughs> I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one to answer if I get closer to enlightenment. I think uh, inch by inch uh, is my style. Did you ever see that movie, Rudy, where this little guy wants to play football and he's not very good, but he tries really, really hard. And by the end, you're rooting for him and you're crying. And like they let him play one game, you know, <laughs> and I feel like that's always been my relationship to spirituality. Uh, I was not born with any special intelligence or skill. I just had an insatiable uh, drive towards the idea of enlightenment. I, was, I would sit for hours and hours every day meditating for, for a lot of years. And um, that's always been my, my path is, is really doing the work. And uh, I'm a little bit of a Rudy, I think. <laughs> I wasn't born a prince like the Buddha. I didn't get a flash of enlightenment in one, in one moment like Eckhart Tolle. For me, it's been much more of a 
climbing of Everest kind of feeling. That's why we did it. <laughs> That's right. That's why we went to the Himalayas. Yeah, to watch me go. <gasps> <laughs> it's okay. I can breathe, guys. I've I prefer this. my inner mountain. <laughs> Next level <laughs> breath work there. <laughs> um, so I, I want so. David, it seems like, you know, you believe that someone can become enlightened in this lifetime. It just, and, and that's a question as well, but what does becoming enlightened actually mean for us today as humans? Well, I think there are varying degrees, right? There are a lot of people that have what we might call an awakening, like a, a moment where maybe their awareness separates from their thoughts. Maybe the whole universe opens up, um, I had this one experience sitting at dinner with some friends. I remember one of them was from Arkansas, had a deep Southern drawl accent. And I don't remember what he was saying, you know, why don't y'all pass the buffalo wings and over here, you know, love that accent. He was just talking about whatever. And I looked into one of his eyes and I remember it was like time stopped and I could see the whole universe in his eye. And it felt like eternity. And then... All of a sudden, I was back in this normal conversation. Hmm. So sometimes we have moments like that. I've had many of those. And then there are longer ones that last days, weeks, months. On occasion, you get someone like Eckhart Tolle. They have one big awakening and it lasts the rest of their lives, perhaps. I don't know. Um, and then in another sense, I think we kind of deepen into our enlightenment as we deepen into our humanity. And that's more of what interests me. So yes, there could be this great awakening of everything is an illusion or everything is one. My awareness is not the same as my thoughts. I am the universe. Those are beautiful awarenesses to have. They can, ha they can be very euphoric in their experience, but they tend to wear off. And then we find ourselves back in our humanity going, hey, what happened to that bliss? And then we're always kind of chasing it. So instead of chasing that kind of bliss, or enlightenment. For me, what I found is more important is to deepen into being a human being. And that's kind of where the book was born out of, of how can we step into every area of life with that kind of awareness and deepen and connect with people, create and, and really be fulfilled. So um, there's this Eastern concept of life is suffering and you have to wake up out of it because this is an illusion and you just don't want to be any part of it. And I've lived in India and, you know, it's part of the culture. You see a lot of homeless, a lot of poverty, a lot of sadhus, uh, like renunciants living on the streets going, this life doesn't matter. And, and then you see the opposite in the West, where it's like chasing success, chasing progress, obsessed with materiality. And I see both of those as extremes, kind of missing the point of really living a balanced, healthy life and a, and a happy life. I mean... If everything is one and, not, and everything's an illusion, then why not, why not enjoy this time and squeeze the love out of every moment either way? So uh, that's been the conclusion I've come to in my many, many years on earth. You're really <laughs> in, old. In my 30s, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, was there an aha moment for you? I mean, you said that it's in those casual moments, but you can you look back sure. and, and I remember that first moment perhaps? Yeah, the first moment is the clearest of all. I was uh, 16. It was October, the year 2000. It was the Mets-Yankees World Series. And uh, my parents, my brother had taken me to a bookstore. He was uh, into doing psychedelics in college, came home. I was like, you need to read, you ignoramus, <laughs> whatever. 
whatever he called me. And uh, he took me to a bookstore. I picked up The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And I was just, you know, in a stack of books. I was like, all right, this looks okay. I never read anything ever in my life. And uh, all I did was play ice hockey every day. And I got home. My parents were downstairs yelling, David, come down. The game is on. And I was upstairs, I think on page like three or five. I don't even know. And it was like a massive light bulb went off inside me and a radical shift. And it was very simple. I read something along the lines of our minds are always in the past and future, and we're never really present in this moment, which we, at this point, we've all probably heard a thousand times, but for a 16-year-old in the suburbs of New Jersey, before that was a thing, uh, it, was, it, it was powerful. And so I had this awakening, I guess I would call it, a shift of consciousness and then for years after that, I, I would sit and meditate a lot. Mm. And it really changed the direction of my life in every possible way. I, I got more focused. I was able to create a relationship. I got into college. I, had, I, I started having interests other than sports. You know, everything, everything started to shift. It was radical, but it was also slow. Like I had to mature. You know, I still partied in college and went and traveled Europe and did a bunch of nonsense. Uh, so it wasn't like I had awakening and that was it. It was, I still, you know, psychologically, we have to mature into adults, even if we have some kind of spiritual awakening. Uh, growing mm. up and waking up are not the same thing. Mm. And sometimes we equate the two. And growing up can actually be harder sometimes. So I think the first awakening for a lot of people is like uh, grace. It's like, it just, the universe just gives it to mm. us. For me, when I look back, it felt like a culmination of a thousand lifetimes you know it was something maybe almost inevitable that uh like yeah just looking back on oh yeah of course that happened to me it makes so much sense um but i still definitely had to grow up and still do <laughs> so that was the first moment there were countless others in meditation on retreats traveling you know living in different countries sitting with different teachers doing various kinds of healing work and uh, now I get to teach people to have those experiences if they're ready for them and how to manage them if they do, because it could be very disorienting to have that kind of experience. And maybe you're not sure who you are anymore or why you're here. So it's it's a delicate kind of thing. And luckily, I had a pretty good family structure and I felt safe and I didn't freak out. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Freaking out can happen. It's good to have that can. support. Yeah. Yeah. So, so David, you wrote Seven Energies of the Soul, and this is a book that is a culmination of much of the wisdom that you've garnered in this lifetime, perhaps others. I'm curious if you can just even briefly tell us about the seven energies and perhaps also how it might help someone to navigate their life. Sure. So I'll just briefly go over them. We've got the creator, the healer, the warrior, the lover, the artist, the explorer, and the master. And by no means did I make up these terms. Many teachers have used these archetypes in different ways. All I did was structure them in a way that made sense to me and my students. And so, I'll, you know, my students have always come to me with the same kinds of issues. I'm sure yours have as well. You know, relationships, career, finances, creativity, spirituality. And all I did was kind of help them see that Okay, whatever problem you think you have is really your life purpose calling you. Mm. So if you're out there trying to build a business and you know it's your calling, but you're struggling, 
you're developing your inner creator. If you're always trying to fix and heal everybody and uh, wanting the world to be a better place, you're developing your inner healer. You know, if you're somebody that cares about protecting others, maybe you're developing your inner warrior and, or relationships, your lover, and on like that. And each energy, the way I see them, they can go into deficiency or excess. So an excessive healer is somebody that's trying to heal the shit out of everyone all the time or fix everybody, always trying to solve situations, never letting anybody just be. Uh, a deficient healer might be somebody who's closed off to their natural abilities, doesn't want to feel or be around others. Uh, uh, for example, if you're a, uh, let's say for the sake of this podcast, an excessive master, people interested maybe in purpose, spirituality, being a guide, a teacher, maybe you're always the guide and teacher and you can't turn it off. Maybe you're lecturing everyone all the time or you have a God complex and you think, I have the truth. God speaks through me, you know. I'm the best. I get to wear the gold hat, whatever the hell it is. Weird shit that goes down, you know, or you have a deficient master. So you've got this great wisdom in you that you're not willing to cultivate, look at, share, really own your own certainty. And so each energy we can kind of deflate or inflate, we could hide or we can obsess. And I think the real recipe for happiness and joy is, is in having balance and fulfillment. So when we balance all the areas of our life and we come out of excess or deficiency, I think that's when we really ground mm. into who we're meant to be and we find like a natural yeah. daily joy. So that's where the concept of the book came from. I spent about a month in Canada on Victoria, I Vancouver Island in Victoria, just walking up and down the water, just kind of contemplating it. So a good friend of mine lent me her home. So I just went up there and kind of where I incubated it. And and so there are meditations to go along with each energy and some other uh, action steps to kind of develop them. And you, uh, There's a seven energies quiz, so you can see which ones are dominant for you. Oh, I want to do that like now. Yeah, uh, but sure. Yeah, I mean, you, you sold it. I, I'm feeling <laughs> it. Uh, that's so interesting. And, and for the sake of all of this, which we kind of got into, but because we're talking about enlightenment, um, do you have a definition for it that you go by? Do you think it's possible for just anyone to attain it? I definitely think anybody can attain it. Absolutely. Um, I don't know if I have a clear definition of enlightenment. Uh, I'd have to sit with that for a moment, but maybe it's the uh, realization or waking up to your true nature, whatever, mm. whatever that ends up meaning to you. But then you also have to live an enlightened life. It's maybe not enough to hide in a cave. So what is enlightenment and then what is my enlightened life look like in the world? So the seven energies of the soul, for me, it's the analogy is like when white light passes through a prism, it refracts into the seven main colors. Obviously, we can have thousands of combinations. But when the light of our awareness passes through this human form and we touch the world, you know, we go into relationship or we build a business or we create a piece of art, whatever it is, that's our enlightenment taking form. Mm. And that's the gifts that we have to give the world. And I love this quote. I think it's by Picasso where he says, the meaning of life is to find your gifts and the purpose of life is to give them away. Mm. And what wow. use is it to have your own enlightenment and then not share it? Mm. And I think that's why we're here. I was just in Barcelona and went to the Picasso Museum. Oh, uh, no. Wasn't that the Dolly? No. Oh, there's a um, Picasso there's also, too? 
Oh, there's a Picasso dolly up there. Yeah. yeah, Picasso Museum. There's another artist that's there too in Barcelona. But anyway, I used to live in Barcelona. Gaudi. And, uh, Gaudi. Gaudi. Thank you, Gaudi. Yes, <laughs> yes. I used to live there, and uh, it was, it's my favorite city in Europe. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I love the part of your definition, or perhaps just as as you were discussing that enlightenment is. It's what is it worth if you're not sharing it with others, if you're not going to to help and support others. And for me, I think that that is what it means to live an enlightened life is that you are sharing your gifts. Mm. You are seeing how you can serve in your unique way and has to be part of our everyday, um, you know, night, it has to be part of our night and day. Right? Yeah, exactly. And I really never thought that my, part of my gift would be you know, teaching, not that I have a gift for teaching, but that's like my gift that I give is helping people. You're being humble. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about that. But, you know, I guess part of what I like to give the world and share is helping people, you know, let go of anxiety, Mm. maybe heal through some pain or trauma, learn how to develop their spiritual abilities and really cope with this difficult experience of being a human because it is really difficult being a human being. Uh, it's like we're born into this world. We don't know why. We're crying usually when we're born. Ah, it's cold. And then all of a sudden we're given a name, a language, a place to live. And we're like, right when we start getting the hang of it, we get our heart broken. We lose a job. We get a little older. People start passing away. It's like, why am I spinning on this rock in the middle of this galaxy. I have no idea why I'm here, how I got here, where I'm supposed to go. This is anxiety inducing shit right here. And so that's a hard thing to cope with all of that uncertainty. Mm, and and yeah. yet here we are. That is the mission it is to learn how to accept it and find our purpose in this incredible symphony of stars and of whatever is happening here and this amazing mystery. And so I guess my little tiny part is to help people deal with that and cope with it and and find that path Mm. and um just the other day somebody messaged me i just this message just made me cry and they said my father was passing away and we would meditate together every night and he would ask can we listen to a david tonight and then she messaged me again said he's about to pass i just want to thank you you know for that help and guidance and i was like wow i never thought i would make that big of an impact on anybody and so um, I, and when every time I get a message like that or hear a story like that, it really fills up my tank and, and helps me recognize them on my path. And so I think we all have to find our own way of doing mm. that. And when we do, then I think the anxiety of life starts to melt off because then even if the plane is crashing, you're like, okay, I made an impact. I, to an extent, started to understand who I am and, and connected with people and shared some love. And I think that's the best we can hope for. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> I, got the, I got the tears here. Yeah, that uh, yeah. one made me cry too. I called my buddy. I was like, you have to see this message. It's I was beautiful. Just like, it, was, it was a lot. And um, I deeply appreciate it and wish that soul peace. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, it's interesting. I think what brings a lot of anxiety, including in this modern age, is this idea of purpose that everyone it's like there's the purpose that is in your flow and then the purpose that is you were trying so hard and then there's also this moment of this enlightenment where it's just there's a just being okay with nothing and just being right 
How do we figure out that balance? It seems paradoxical. Um, I think we need to put as much effort in as possible until we recognize we don't need to put in effort. And, and they're reflections of different stages of growth rather than being in competition with each other. So if somebody starts off day one on their spiritual path, goes, I don't need to put in effort. I don't need to meditate. Uh, I, I just, the Buddha or whoever said, don't put in effort. I'm just going to chill in potato chips and watch Netflix. That is, uh, I think, a misinterpretation of the teachings. I think maybe we have to sit still for a while and really face our pain and our demons with neutrality and love and acceptance. And there, there's a kind of effort to that. And then there comes a bridge you have to cross where you have to let go. And I think there's a natural progression. So it's the same when you're like building a business. It's weird. I, I taught an entrepreneurship class and a student came up to me and said, you're telling us to do all these things. My teacher said you should put in no effort. And I mm. said, no effort, no money. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> On that level, you have to put an effort into the human world. Um, and, but when you cross the threshold, even in business, there is a, uh, something shifts where actually less effort, more awareness and energy mm. actually makes the business grow. But up to a point, you need a lot of effort. So I, I don't think they're in competition. I think they're maybe more, there's a relationship there, the right amount of pushing on the gas pedal at the right moment. Nice. David, this has been so beautiful. I want to ask you one final question for our listeners who are thinking, you know, okay, maybe it is possible for me to become enlightened. What is a first step that they might take? It's a great question. I, would, I wouldn't say there's one door into enlightenment. There are probably infinite doors, but they're all in this moment. And mm. so if you go to sit and meditate, a very traditional way would be to watch the gap in between your thoughts. Mm. So every time you have it, instead of focusing on every thought, which is what you always do, probably 100% of the time, you get pulled by your thoughts. They have Our thoughts have like a gravitational force to them. They pull us so instead of letting them pull you, maybe you step back and you look at the gap in between the thoughts as they pass through your mind's eye. And then the second step, maybe you recognize that you're the awareness that sees the gap. I think those two first steps can really create a radical awakening in us. I think that's a great place to start. And that really is uh, a deep part of enlightenment, recognizing you're the awareness behind the thoughts and not just the story passing through your mind. And it's the story that causes all of our anxiety and suffering. So when we can separate consciousness and thought, that is where the birth of awakening begins to happen, or the birth of enlightenment, if you want to call it. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for all of your wisdom, David. That was David. it. That was amazing. <laughs> and, you know, I've done hundreds of podcasts, and this is the first time anyone's ever asked me that question. And it always... What? Yeah, you know, it, uh, it, it's frustrating in a sense as a teacher because everyone always asks, how can I find love or how can I make money or how can I get over anxiety, which are all super valid. I mean, all part of the book I wrote, but no one ever is like, hey, what about the enlightenment thing? But when I was a teenager and, and growing up, that's the only question I would ask. I would go to every guru in India and ask them. I would ask every teacher. I would obsess over the concept of being enlightened and finding the deepest truth. And so I appreciate, Jordana, that you asked that question. Oh, well, Finally. 
it's, it's, it's an honor to discuss it with you. And, uh, maybe we're just this much closer. <laughs> this much closer. 3% I so. closer. Yeah. I, uh, last thing, let me just say is that maybe the hardest part about enlightenment is not that it's far away, but that it's so close. It's hard to see. Mm. It's like trying to see your own eye through your eye. There's like you hit this wall and it's a paradox and then you have to wake up out of that duality. Hmm. And um, that might be why, because it's just so close. We're the ones hmm. looking for enlightenment. The enlightenment, the enlightened being in us is the one looking for enlightenment. And it just needs to remember. And there's this great poem by T.S. Eliot where I don't know verbatim, but he says, after all, all the exploring, I come back to know myself again for the first time. That may be a part of it as well. Thanks, TSLA. <laughs> and thank, oh my God. thanks to both uh, of you. On that note, we're done. I mean, I, I'm just like, you, you just did it. This is this has been one of my favorite conversations. Oh, thank you, Sharon. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Mind Shift. If you want to continue your mind-shifting journey, head over to peaceinsiders.live. Become a Peace Insider and join our community with live classes. Plus, follow us on social media at Peace Inside Live. And if you have any questions and want to be featured on the show, slide into our DMs. Thank you for showing up today. We'll see you again soon. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.